the most extraordinary thing in a frame is a human being. I would never even consider crying during the West Wing. It's just appreciating people who are great. <laughs> it's the best show of all time. Welcome to our show. Each episode, we break down our thoughts on different movies and entertainment experiences. This week, we're talking about Oscar season movies and the Netflix movie, Hillbilly Elegy. I'm Bob. I'm a videographer and a producer. My favorite movie for this time of year is actually Love Actually. And currently, I'm watching Auntie Donna's House, which is kind of fun. Wow, what a ringing endorsement. Kind of fun. Uh, my name is Aaron. Uh, I'm an actor. I'm a director. I'm a producer. I'm an acting coach. My favorite holiday movie is A Christmas Story. And I'm currently watching The Crown right now, the new season. So not to derail the conversation, but I've never talked to somebody whose favorite holiday movie is actually A Christmas Story. Can you give me just the one thing that draws you back to it each year? Probably The Lamp. Of the stripper leg and secondly i'm jewish so chinese food on christmas is it it's funny that you say those things because those are literally the two things i think about first when i think about the movie there's actually a house up the street that has the leg lamp in the window and i'm like Ooh, deep cut yeah wait great now. awesome <laughs> i i would go up and knock on their door and be like can we just have a drink and talk <laughs> um so we're talking about Oscar movies. Uh, I think what's most interesting to me is the way I enjoyed this type of like season when the when these big movies come out, these prestige films come out, the way they're released. Uh, do you want to share how you usually enjoy movies this season? Like, what is your routine? Where do you see them? That sort of thing. Well, I think it's really changed over the last couple of years. Uh, is streaming has become more prevalent and almost better than film as far as episodics. Um, but we're both in SAG and going to the screenings and the Q&A with actors and directors I typically like to do. And that's how I try to see everything. And if it's a film I'm really moved by and love, then I try to give my money and go see it again in the theater and pay for it. Do you have a favorite movie you've seen through a SAG screening? Probably The Revenant, which um, seeing it in a theater was great because when Leo would get cold, you would see people in the theater actually like put on their jackets, like the effect. And then the Q&A was amazing. And it's the only time I've ever met Leonardo DiCaprio and I've met like a bunch of athletes and actors and I'm never starstruck. And I met him and I was like, Ugh. and he's Did we handsome. go to that same screening? No. Well, uh, I did not go with you. Okay. I went to one that had him and Inaratu, uh both being interviewed. Mm -hmm. That was, I'd say the most, just like you said, that's the most fanboy movie experience I've ever had. I was just so excited to see him there, like in person. It was it was the larger than life experience. The couple things I found super interesting when I went about that, the Revenant Q&A with the whole cast and crew, um, Leonardo DiCaprio had private security, like six guys in a rotation with earpieces setting up a perimeter around him. And I'm like, wow, that's not off-duty LAPD. He has 
like real security. And then Tom Hardy wasn't able to attend. And when they announced that, literally every woman in the audience gasped. They were like, oh. And another interesting thing is so many of the cast, they each talked, you know, oh my God, working with Leo and working with Leo and what an honor. And at one point in the interview, he kind of covered his mic and he whispered to everyone. And then they never thanked him again or said what, how great it was. And I think he said, like, guys, we're all in it together and we made a film together. And I thought it was pretty cool. He was quarterbacking. So real quick, your comment about Tom Hardy, the women swooning when he wasn't going to be there. That reminds me of the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen at one of these SAG screenings, which was for the Danish girl. And in the middle of the Q&A session, which they didn't curate for some reason, uh, one of the people stands up and is like, OK, Eddie Redmayne, I just want to say uh, your dick is really huge and looked really good there's like a cutaway in the movie of him like kind of holding his uh -huh. dick uh -huh. the response from him was like he he obviously got a little flustered it was a little weird people in the audience looked at each other and like she should be kicked out she should be kicked out right now people in the audience were so embarrassed for that i i think that's because if i see the same thing these things are such a treat when you get to really talk about the movie because these aren't like variety screenings these are like usually the artist talking in depth about the process of making a film. And then when you get someone that kind of derails it like that, it kind of ruins it for everybody. My favorite experience was um, seeing the Steve Jobs movie. It had the entire cast. And I think Aaron Sorkin was even there for that Q and A. And they were so good together. They really broke down how scenes went through, how they, how scenes evolved as they shot them numerous times. It was really, really interesting. I'll, I'll never forget that. I think you and I went to that together at the DGA. And let's try to stay positive and not get too critiquing on this, if critiquing is a word. That particular um, screening was moderated by an LA Times reporter. And there's a real difference when yeah, an LA Times entertainment reporter, and they did it in The Revenant, versus um there's a couple different ladies who do sag and and they're a little bit more starstruck unemployed actors who are now interviewing for sag uh and when you have a real journalist asking real questions it makes all the difference and i i think also those actors are so used to being interviewed by so many different people that they need a real rapport and a real back and forth and exchange. Yeah. You know, we were talking about what our typical experience is when we go see the prestige films of like late November and December. Uh, I love these SAG screenings. By the time though, the SAG screenings start rolling out in mass, which is, you know, beginning of December, late December. Um, I've already seen a lot of the films. I get so excited about going to see these and they get released early in LA. So I would go see them at the theaters they get released to, which isn't AMC, it's Arclight, which I've said for, you know, 12 years, it's one of the best movie going experiences that there is if you love movies. And um, I'm missing that this year. I'm missing being able to go see everything in advance. The screeners are going to come out. But like I said, I, by those by the time the screeners come out, I've usually seen it. It's me watching it again or sending it to my parents so they can watch the movie, which they never do because they're prestige films. They're not interesting to most people 
And you're not supposed to share those DVDs, Bobby. I'm going to have to report you. <laughs> um, so this year, I'm going to have to rely on streaming all these films. And so that takes away from the 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 movie going. The, the, that takes away from the experience of me like wanting to go be part of something. You know what I mean? I'm going to be able to see the movie, and I'm not really sure if my digestion of the movie is going to be different. But it's there's no event to it. How do you feel about having to stream everything this year for what there will be? Well, you saw what happened yesterday with Paramount announcing they were going to HBO Max with their slate. What is going to happen with that? Well, I talked about this over Thanksgiving. The movie theater experience is going to radically change. And it's going to be Amazon and Netflix are going to own theaters that you'll go to for promotions or for screenings. There will be like AMC for the new Marvel movie. But people, as home theater gets better and better, people are going to watch at home. And I also think movies are a little, they're dying. And this COVID might have kind of pushed them over the edge. And it started with streaming. And when I was at Thanksgiving, I was with a very small group. And they were saying how they missed the theater experience and couldn't wait to get back to the theater. And I asked, what's a, what's a movie you're excited to see? And they couldn't name one. And I said, what are you binge watching? And what's the next show you're watching? And they all had answers. I think that's an unfair question because who knows what's coming out this year, right? Like, what, what are you excited to see in this last gasp of 2020? What movies are you still looking forward to seeing? What do you think is going to be the best stuff coming out? Um, I am interested in seeing A Night in Miami. Um, but... That's because I know a couple of the actors and I, I know the story. Um, Mank, which I just found out is a David Fincher film that's screening on Netflix today. So I'm going to watch that. You know, Fincher's one of the best filmmakers. And now he has movies going straight to Netflix that aren't even really getting that much hype. You know, there are a couple articles and... You know, but they're, they're like, it's here and you'll be able to watch it forever, but it, out of sight, out of mind, if you don't watch it right away, it's gone because there's 12 other new things. You're like, ooh, that's new and shiny. I want to watch that. Well, you know, when I was preparing to talk about Academy movies, I looked up what people are talking about that's still coming out. And that's the only way I have any relationship to the Night in Miami movie you mentioned. I don't know what it's about. I just saw the title several times. I'm really excited about The Father, which stars Anthony Hopkins. I just love Anthony Hopkins. And eventually one of these films is going to be his last film. Uh, this looks like a really strong, interesting movie. I'm also interested in uh, the Francis McDormand movie that's going to come out, even though it seems very obtuse figuring out what it's actually going to be like. Uh, but I only know about those movies because I was looking up movies coming out. There's nothing that I'm getting notified by. I, I knew about Mank because Netflix did a small push for me. At least what I saw socially was like a small push for Mank. Um, but, I mean, honestly, I mean, this goes to the question that we're asking today. Do you think Netflix is going to be able to pull this drama off? Fincher's done a lot of great stuff with Netflix, but Netflix doesn't have a history of making really good dramas drama movies 
Well, in Fincher, I trust. So I watched the trailer and it didn't really spark my interest, but I trust David Fincher. So this is the type of movie I would go see in the theater. But now that's, that's gone. You know, I remember when Roma came out and everyone's like, you have to see it in the theater. So I went to the theater and I was like, I don't, I couldn't watch this at home because I would check my phone. I would get up to go to the bathroom. I would get a phone call, hit pause, maybe watch it in two different seatings. So like when the Irishman came out on Netflix and it was, I was told it's the best movie ever and you watch it and it's good and it's long, but I watched it in like three different sections, you know? So I, I just, I, I really think the, the crown and queen's gambit and, and these shows that are so good succession, which is not a binge show. It's the new cinema. You know, I watched uh, this movie on Amazon last night called Uncle Frank. I want to watch that. See that. Yeah. Paul Bettany is the lead. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know who produced it. It got it's gotten some buzz. People being really interested in it. Uh, the writer is Alan Ball, who did Six Feet Under. And if I'm not mistaken, American Beauty was a big breakthrough thing. He's yes. had a bunch of other stuff. So I was expecting a lot out of it. Uh, watched it. My biggest takeaway is it could have been a six hour limited series easily. There's so much they could have delved into. And now that I'm used to seeing things in that format, I feel like, especially since streaming, I want long things. I'm used to being like, Oh, this is the hour about his apartment. This is the hour about the road trip. This is the hour about the family. And it feels like watching something now that falls in that 90 minute to 120 minute time span is just gutting all the interesting like B story and C story plots. And it it feels empty. The big one, everyone compares it to the streaming versus film. The streaming shows versus film is if the Godfather came out today, would it be a movie or would it be 10 episodes on Netflix? And it would be 10 episodes because you would want a Luca Brasi episode the whole one from the book, how he came up as a hitman, you know? And instead in the film, he has the little scene at the beginning, like look at that man mumbling to himself, meets the Don and then goes and gets whacked. Um, and you never really find out about him. You know, this is a great segue actually into the movie we're gonna talk about today, Hillbilly Elegy, which is a book and it goes a lot, the book goes into a lot of detail about the current life of hillbillies, the problem with drugs, the like the failure of the society they built in a documentary-ish style, which is not what this film is. And um, so do you want to start talking about hillbilly elegy? Um, is trying to stay as positive as possible. And being two guys who've made films and know how difficult it is, But when I was told Ron Howard directed this, I'm expecting a Ron Howard experience. And this is not that. Real quick, for people who don't know about Hillbilly Elegy yet, it is a film directed by Ron Howard. It stars Amy Adams and also Glenn Close. 
Uh, those are the two biggest names in it. There's a smattering of uh, other actors in it as well. So, and it's on Netflix to stream now. And it didn't work for me on a whole variety of levels, um, including a young boy is kind of roughed up or bullied at the beginning of the movie. And it wasn't violent. It was very PG and slow motion and almost like, let's make sure all the actors are safe on set. And I'm like, okay, this is fake out of the gate. And then it just continued down that road. What I wanted from it was something like a really grounded, well-developed drama version of something like White Boy Rick, which is a movie that came out either beginning of this year or the tail end of the last year. I didn't see it. Something like something gritty, something that feels like realistically mm -hmm. tied into the world that is, again, not a documentary, but styled in that vein. Um, I, I, feel, I felt like halfway through, and I don't know if this is completely uh, fair, but this feels like a hillbilly blindside to me. This it, it, felt like a CBS after school special. What do you think did work about that film? It's easy to beat up on this film. I feel like what do you, what, what did work about this film to you? I mean, Glenn Close's performance was great. And when they showed the pictures of the actual people at the end, like she looked identical, identical, um, identical. Um, so I was like, oh, wow, that's great. I, I did like the story. I guess the, the grandma took the grandson in and gave him hard love and put him on the right track. And that was a nice message. Um, but other than that, nothing worked. Like, and, and I mentioned this to you when we discussed it. Um, the lead actor is, had served in the military, was at Yale Law School, worked in a kitchen at Yale to help pay tuition, and then got flustered by the order of silverware at dinner. And I'm like, well, you served in Fallujah, but the order of like which spoon to use upsets you? I'm like, mm, I don't know about that. To that point, just in case people have read the book, I haven't finished the entire book, but if the if the if there is a part in the book that talks about the the silverware and him being flustered about it, I still think you take the dramatic license and make it something more interesting than that. Because just like you said, it's a really weird thing to see the main actor be completely tied up in these the silverware when all we know is all these big things he's done. Right? Mm -hmm. He should be more than that. And I don't think taking like taking a bigger piece of his life and and putting it there something would be more dynamic. As far as like what I liked about it. I think the performance is almost like if, if this could be, this is going to sound weird, but if this could be set up as like an immersive theater experience where you walk through and see Amy Adams just existing as this person who has these problems and Glenn Close existing as this person, it would be more interesting to me like that than this, which so felt like every once in a while we'll just sprinkle these characters in and let have them explode on each other and then, you know, do something else and then come back and sprinkle them a little bit more. I, there wasn't like a good nothing felt like a full meal while watching it. It all felt just like pieces. And then you have this really boring story of this guy going back to see his mom. And like you said, super PG. I mean, it's all the book really heavily references drugs and you see Amy Adams shoot up in like the last, I don't know, 30 seconds, five minutes. And, and she does take drugs and she gets, you know, loses her nurse's license. Um, but there were things like, you know, 
his credit card was maxed out to get gas, but then he could afford the thousands of dollars to check her into rehab. Okay, these are just common sense things that really uh, bother me. When he was getting gas, he told his girlfriend he thinks he's in New Jersey. Like, I'm pretty sure he would know, like, if he's driving from Yale, from Connecticut to uh, Kentucky, he would know, or Ohio, I guess, he would know where he's uh, driving. So what do you think? Scale of one to 10, what would you give this movie? It's, I would say for me, it's probably a, a three. I, I'd maybe, say maybe two. I mean. The reason I wanted to talk about this movie this week was because uh, I was excited about it before I watched it. And I thought this was kind of the first of the major movies that were going to be in Oscar contention that are getting released during this time period. I know people are talking about movies from now February and March as being Oscar contenders, but like specifically movies released right now, that's what they're thinking about. Um, I don't think this movie has a chance to win an Oscar unless it's something like sound design or something. What do you think? Glenn Close could win an Oscar for best supporting actors. Um, but other than that, it's just not great. Yeah, And I'm disappointed because it's a Ron Howard film. And he's one of those guys, like I was talking about Fincher, one of those people, when they make a movie, I go see it based on their yeah. name. Um, kind of like if Tom Brady's playing, I'm going to watch the football game, even if I have no interest, to watch one of the greats. And this wasn't great. So before we go, what movie, what, what do you think makes a good Oscar film like what do you look for when you when you're looking for an Oscar film I, I realize it's probably something along most people would say something along the lines of great acting great script blah, blah blah but what attracts you to an Oscar film if you just know the trailer or if you just have some friends that are in it like what 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 do you think makes a good film well I think it's at the end when a movie ends and no one moves in the theater that's when you know it's a good film um, there's a, a great story by Jerry Weintraub, the producer who wrote the great book, You'll Know I'm Dead When I'm Stopped Talking. He produced Karate Kid. And they had screened it in Van Nuys with the questionnaires after. And it tested very poorly. And they're like, wow, this is not going to be a successful film. And he walked out in the parking lot at 11 o'clock at night and all the kids were in the parking lot who had seen the movie doing the kick, like the bird kick on one leg. And he's like, oh, we have a hit. You know, when it changed the zeitgeist, when something mm -hmm. becomes a saying, um, I'll be back. Like, is Terminator the best movie ever? It's a pretty great movie. Mm -hmm. But it changes people. And the movies coming out now, I don't find people discussing them. Is they do with shows, The Crown, uh, Mindhunter, Succession. Mindhunter, so good. You know, and I, I think, and whether that's because more money is being funneled in to those shows and the creators of the show don't have a studio really to report to, they can kind of go, you know, if Amazon gives you money to go make a movie, they're letting you go make a movie. So kind of like what you're saying about streaming and the shows that are coming out are what I look for in movies. What I look for when I'm 
when I'm expecting something to be great is a new take on something. I want to see, you know, there's the old saying, there's only four stories. Well, I want to see the thing that I haven't seen. That's why I got so excited about three billboards outside of Ebbing uh, or outside wherever it was. I was so excited about that because I'd never seen anything like that. I think that Mm -hmm. movie's okay, pretty good, but Mm -hmm. I was so excited about that. One of the best Oscar films I've seen in years was my feeling, like you said, when I left Argo, I was just like, this is great. This is great. great. I've never seen this. And this is so interesting. Um, And I think with shows, when you look at something like Secession, you get this chance to tell this massively long story, right? And it's Mm -hmm. never been told this way before. Or each character. Yeah. Or Mindhunter, like the first season, you get this huge arc that hasn't really been done in cop shows before. It's very cinematic. Uh, and so it's a mix of the two. And so I think I think we're kind of looking at, at, at sort of the same thing. We're looking for the same things in our films in the end, just like different parts of it, right? I think that's what streaming is, is new stories that are that are becoming part of the zeitgeist at the same time. The thing that's so interesting about Mindhunters is, like I'm a Silence of the Lambs fan. I watch it once a year. That's also what makes a great movie, right? Do you go back and ever watch it? Because these movies now coming out, you're never going to go watch again. I watch Silence of the Lambs once a year. I watch Hunt for Red October. But Silence of the Lambs is about behavioral sciences at the FBI, right? That's where Clarice is training. Mm -hmm. And that, in Mindhunters, they talk about how that was born, which I thought was Mm -hmm. super interesting. And Mm -hmm. then they get into the Atlanta killer so they're tracking a real story in the second season just super interesting and very well mm-hmm. done and very smart well let's make sure to talk about that next time what makes a movie rewatchable which i think is completely different than i look for different things in movies that i want to rewatch than what i consider great movies would you agree to that what do you yes. think all right yeah. next week we're going to watch mank and discuss on the podcast all right talk to you later